And I'm Alexander Wales. This is episode 38, The Medium of Prose Fiction. So, when you say medium, you mean the... I mean I mean a bunch of different things, mm-hmm. right? Because prose fiction is not just one medium. I think that you have the super category of prose fiction, and then you can sort of divide it up into different prose fiction reading experiences. We treat... I guess I treat... Um, prose fiction as agnostic to the channel it's being communicated on Mm -hmm. a lot of the time like reading an ebook on tablet or on mobile on your phone or sitting down specifically in front of a computer or just reading a paperback book it's the same words that are getting to you but it's it's a different category of prose fiction To, to my view that's that's probably debatable um there's a conversation on discord a few days ago about um information theory as it relates to writing which would actually be probably an interesting episode for us to do at some point mm-hmm. but this is on um, the uh our rational discord yeah on the, sorry <laughs> i forget that there are other discords than that one <laughs> uh, but it was on the our, our rational discord and so there's this guy marshall McLuhan, who uh his famous thing was the medium is a message he wrote mm-hmm. uh two or three books on that's maybe more um but his argument was basically that the the medium that you transmit something across embeds itself into the message or they, they form the symbiotic relationship with each other. So the message that the reader gets is different depending on uh, what way they consume that message, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a different experience. Like if you're reading a story on a phone, the text is going to um, – it's going to be larger uh, per like medium area, I guess. Right. Like you're going to be using your thumb to scroll up Mm -hmm. and that will have different effects on your neurological reception of that message than if you're sitting at a computer or if you're turning pages or something like that. Yeah. And um, in my experience, like reading a physical book, I enjoy the experience more in general but there's this very noticeable effect every time I am near the end of the book where I feel something like, well, I know the book is ending soon. I am going to be expecting things to start getting wrapped up. If things aren't getting wrapped up, I'm like, well, I guess this might just be a uh, a book with a sequel. I might start thinking like there's no way the author can possibly tie up all these loose ends by the end of this. Things like that just start to like intrude on my reading experience. It doesn't That doesn't happen the same way. And I'm reading an online serial, uh, or even necessarily a book uh, that I'm reading, like you know, an ebook of, uh, unless I'm paying attention to the to the page count, which I think is the default. Like it's going to be hard to not notice, but um, in some forms, like you know, it's it's not as obvious. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of solutions for getting around that problem as an author. Mm-hmm. Most of them aren't very good. <laughs> People are like, oh, you could just pad it out, you know, just just say to say to someone, hey, the book ended here. And everything after this is not like actual 
actually part of the book. I, I have never seen a, a solution to it that I felt actually works. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so when when I say prose media, um, the medium of prose fiction, I mean words written down in sequence to tell a story, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's a super category that includes a lot of different things. I think that uh, the medium of like short fiction mm-hmm. is different than a novella or a, a novelette. You know, the the fact that a that a story is longer conveys something in addition to just the message of what the story is saying right right like i mean obviously if there are more words that's a different message in that sense but there is something about serial media i think especially where you get to your like 30th chapter and there's it can take you into a different mental state even Mm -hmm. irrespective of what the what the message itself is I guess. So a lot of what I would like to talk about this episode are things like our default assumptions about what goes on in the medium of prose fiction. And when you bring other mediums into it, like poetry or songs or pictures or or hyperlinks or things like that. To start with, there's a technological limitation right now where if you want to... It, well, okay... The, the technological limitation, I think, comes from two places. The first is that multi-platform publishing uh, means that you can only use, assuming that you want to transmit the same message across all channels, right? You can only use uh, the lowest common denominator of formatting options. I don't know if you read um, The Northern Caves by Nostalgia Braist, but... No, I have not. Uh, that was on posted on Archive of Our Own and um, formatted using they let you uh, upload CSS files, cascading style sheets, um, and it was done such that it uh, was formatted like a PHP message board from like the early 2000s. Right. So it has this different this different medium, and the problem with that is that that doesn't really work in like EPUB or Mobi or PDF. And, and you couldn't, you couldn't take that to like, you couldn't take that from archive of our own to fiction press because mm-hmm. fiction press doesn't allow to my knowledge tables and certainly doesn't allow CSS. So that's one limitation um, within that. Like I think what, what would you say the de- default formatting options are italics underline yeah. bold. Usually everyone expects to be able to change the font size, bold it, make it italics, underline it. Some things that are not standard, but I wish were more common, but are sometimes available is like strike through. Sometimes you'll find like the ability to shrink, shrink text upward and make it like, yeah, su- superscript su- and subscript. Right, right. Superscript and subscript. Right. Uh, things like that are really valuable sometimes, but are not always an option. Yeah. Footnotes mm-hmm. are, can be, implemented in different ways across different formats so that you can't really um i ran into this problem on on glimmorton because i really wanted footnotes because i love footnotes right and i was just like well this is just gonna be such an enormous headache if i'm trying to push out across four formats like once a week and i want to have footnotes and it's gonna have to be different on i'm gonna have to do it in like three or four different ways to make sure that it gets across on each and then the footnotes are perceived differently because of how they're accessed by by the reader, right? Like if you come to a footnote and then you have to scroll down to the very bottom of the chapter to see the footnote, right? Um, that's a very different reading experience than if you just hover over the footnote. Yes. So you can't hover over the footnote if you're on mobile, usually, depending on how you implement it. 
<laughs> that's annoying enough on its own. This is like the the difference between like being able to hold down on something to get the footnote um, or the alt text uh, or the yeah. alt text if it's a, a web comic and then other web comics not not allowing you to do that and then yeah yeah so I had to, I had to abandon that plan of doing footnotes because it just was not technologically feasible. So you get a different a different reading experience depending on how certain things are implemented. I I think. Mostly, you can only depend on italics, underline, bold. Uh, you can get lists sometimes. You don't usually find those in prose fiction. Uh, they usually look different. Um, you can't control line length, really. Right. Well, you can if you have control of the CSS, which a lot of times, if you're publishing on the web, you don't. A lot of sites will restrict it because they think people are going to screw it up. Yeah, and a lot of this also also may vary even between like browsers that are being used. Yeah, a lot of it varies between browsers and mobile versus non-mobile, and yeah, and some some add-ons that people will have to their browsers to you know yeah. enhance readability for them. You don't want to break everything because so, you we're trying to do something special. Yeah, so there's a lot that can't be always relied on, uh, which can be very frustrating. I would have very much liked to use the Left greater than and less than signs for thought speak, which is popularized by Animorphs and used by um, Animorphs: The Reckoning for the Mewtwo chapters, and yeah. I kind of just had to do without them and use italics and bolding as best I could to communicate that something is being thought at someone. Yeah, uh, for, for, I was going to ask. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask about that. Why I figure that was a, a limitation imposed by the medium, but why you made those specific choices for like which is going to be bold and which is italic or. So what I like is that uh, for the Mewtwo chapters, at least, because it's first person, present tense, the anything that he says is just picked up by someone who's reading his mind. So he doesn't actually have like dialogue with Sabrina. He just kind of thinks something in the in the early days. Like he just thinks something in the like in as part of the narration, and she picks up on it because she's privy to what he's thinking. And for her, I put the bold bold all capital because. Basically, I wanted it to be something that was like jarring and like immediate, and I figured it would be noticeable from the context that this was a thought coming into his head. Uh, I would have liked, like I said, I would have liked the um, thought um, thought quotations if I could, but without it, I still felt like I was able to, at the very least, get a sense of like um, this is clearly something coming from the outside just from his reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I like using I, I used the bold for that because it was kind of like a shouty voice, which I also kind of communicated through the voice around it. But yes, it was it was a limitation of the medium that didn't allow me to make it more distinct than I yeah. would have wanted to. And I think one of the one of the hard things if you're trying to do something a little different like that is there are conventions about how people read these things that are sort of not inside the words themselves and those conventions are kind of hidden. Like people don't talk about them that much. They're just from, yeah, they're just developed and acquired through experience. Yeah. Well, and especially like um, when a word should be italic and when it should be bold, that changed a lot with the advent of the internet, right? Most, most things that people read now are, are on the internet and not as far as prose fiction goes, but, a lot of the conventions from like forums and things like that have seeped into prose to some extent, especially because a lot of prose is online, mm-hmm. right? So, like when you use italics versus bold versus underline, it's a very interesting thing to think about. I don't think I have like 
that many hard and fast rules. And to some extent, I think an author can create their own conventions within a text. Right. And usually it's got to be somewhat intuitive in, in through the context it's being used in. Like if you were to just use brackets for telepathy, for example, instead, like it'd be very quickly, people could very quickly pick up on like, okay, brackets mean mental thought is being is being conveyed here instead of quotation marks. And that, but that does preclude then using brackets for anything else. Not that brackets is often used in, in prose fiction, which I feel is which kind is, of underused. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one of the benefits of of using something unusual is yeah. that you can define your own thing for it. You want to have a few that are not being used no- normally. Yeah, because you know, if you decide that you have something weird going on in your story and you want italics to sort of indicate a post facto reading of the story as it happens mm-hmm. or something, right? Or like thoughts that are inserted after the fact, um, you can't do that with italics really because people have their own reading of italics and you would have to establish ahead of time that that's that that's what you're doing yeah. right because you'd basically be using italics for like parentheticals or or something like that italics are usually internal speech if, if it's a yes you know, Inter- yeah internal thoughts uh that are distinct from stream of conscious right and then italic for a single word or for a small group of words is usually for emphasis but it's a different emphasis than if you were to bold yeah, um, emphasis in tone versus emphasis in volume is how I've always seen that. Yeah, and then what's underlining is just a different type of emphasis. I guess you don't see underlining all that much. Yeah, I don't see underlining usually. I think that's another one that just, like, it feels less natural to be using underlining for any kind of, like, dialogue purposes. But I do see sometimes underlining used for describing, like, if something is written down um, and they're kind of reading something written down, the underline will be put there because underlining is a visual tool if that makes sense um yeah. so like if, if if someone's reading a note and has an underlined section then obviously they'll underline that underlined section which is which is neat because that that is what it is yeah like it is it is a visual marker to denote this text is different from other text or important or emphasis emphasis on it i have been tempted to use underlining for things before i just kind of shied away from it for that reason it's not very commonly used and i kind of think it feels weird using it for more traditional forms of emphasis yeah and then strike through, I think I only see for comedic effect. Yeah, mostly. strike through for comedic effect, or again writing. Like if you if you're reading a note and there's like you know things that were scratched out or whatever. Yeah. One of the things I really wish I could do also was adapt things more to denote text messages. So like you know when characters are texting in a story, format of texting can be very unique and and different. And something like fanfiction.net does not allow for that very easily. Uh, even WordPress doesn't allow you to really mess with that much. Yeah. By the standard WordPress. So I had trouble with that in terms of like, how do I make sure that these characters' text messages stand out and different and like kind of each have their own like language to them and, and flavor to them. Like, you know, purposeful typos is a useful useful thing for that if a character is the kind that would ha- that would have typos or would shorten things and, and stuff like that. But also like emotes don't really always translate or don't really always work uh, on every medium. Yeah, which is annoying. There There is something to the idea that restrictions breed creativity as far as things like that go, mm-hmm. but I kind of sometimes just wish I could be free with, yeah. <laughs> with what I'm trying to write instead of trying to work around those things, especially if, what's the word, uh, if, if you have uh, diegetic messages, right, messages that are supposed to represent text within the world itself, you know, like mm-hmm. like if someone is reading a sign and you want to present that sign to the reader as it is being seen, 
sometimes you just have to describe that sign, right? So you're, you're printing out the text and then you're describing all the things that you would do to the text, mm-hmm. right? Right? Like it was a, a sign with, you know, big red letters and you don't have the technology or you don't want to like screw with, you know, all these channels you're transmitting across to just put the letters big and red, mm-hmm. which would be the fastest way to convey that they are big and red. It's, it's something I think about a fair amount. I think I, the landscape will probably be different in another 10 years mm-hmm. as the different channels for prose fiction sort of get features added to them and begin to merge together depending on who the winners and losers are. <laughs> I mean, there's uh, there's a whole slew of new media on the internet that comes up. Stories, the fiction stories that are told through the medium of the internet. And I enjoyed, I've enjoyed a few of them uh, a lot. Some of them are much more obviously unique, like using YouTube video clips, and obviously, like a lot of people know about, like things like Homestuck, yep, and stuff like that. But um, the first of those I encountered was something called uh, the Ni- the Dionysian House, I think it's pronounced, and it was basically, without spoiling things, really, it's basically a horror story that takes place over the over over the span of like six different websites. Uh, this was back in. I'm going to say like 2004, maybe 2003. So like the websites of that day and age were used as the canvas through which the story was told. And so like links would go between them and, and you know, there'd be part of the story that was like on LiveJournal and, you know, things like that. And it was really, really well done. Kept me up all night uh, reading it because it was just that engaging. And so things like that that are very unique, like on the web that you just can't turn into a like you you can you can transcribe it all down onto a book uh, or an EPUB file, but it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of those that's one of those medium things that's mm-hmm. really neat. the The medium is the message. When Marshall McLuhan says that, that's mm-hmm. what he's that's what he's talking about. Is you can even this podcast, right? You could cr- transcribe it, but it would not be the same experience as listening to us speak because the medium encodes at least part of the message. Right, and that's not just because of the limits of transcription, right? how you would decide between where a sentence ends. Because sometimes we say sentences and in spoken word, there are times when you can put a comma and then and, and it would be more natural or implied or where you would do like a semicolon or an M dash or, or things like that. And those are all things that you need to think about in terms of the medium of prose fiction as well, especially for delivering dialogue. I think. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot more thoughtful silences in a podcast than there would be in a podcast transcript. Uh, you have to basically choose, like, do I want this silence to be noted as important? I do that actually when I'm editing each episode, even like when I'm cutting out like parts of dialogue or like gaps between words and stuff like that. Like, is this silence meaningful or would it just kind of bore the bore the listener with like waiting for us to finish the sentence or whatever it is or respond to something? Yeah. Like you can you can put that into transcripts, you can put that into prose, but it's not. It like it takes conscious choice to determine like what's a good a good way to do it um, and can balance like conveying meaning and yeah the the big other thing that I want to talk about was other mediums which are not prose fiction which you can bring into prose fiction right mm. songs and poems are I'd say usually the most common but they're definitely the most common the kind of fiction that I read mm-hmm. partly that's because I read a lot of fantasy and songs. Are sort of a staple of the genre, mm-hmm. for, for better or worse. Uh, I generally don't like them. 
I mean, for, for songs especially, because when you get to there, it's, there's always a temptation to just skip past the song, because I don't know the tune that the song is to, and I, I have to make up my own tune to sing through it. Otherwise, I'm just reading, like, free verse poetry, right. basically. And if it's a poem, then it has to be a pretty short one for me to say, all right, I actually do want to read this, rather than I'm just going to read this because it's part of the story. I did a song for Shadows of Limelight because mm-hmm. there was this character who was, he was a bard and I tried to, and obviously if I say that I don't like songs in my prose fiction, I will have a strong temptation to put a song in my prose fiction just to see how I can do it or mm-hmm. if I can do it in a way that I would like. So I put a song in that carries a lot of narrative weight for that particular chapter and you're kind of lost if you don't actually read it. And a very musically gifted friend of mine did a uh, pub song version of that that got linked at the end of the at the end of that particular chapter, which I thought I thought he did a great job. I also thought that was sort of a neat thing that you can only really do with web fiction. You can't just like insert a song into a, a paper book. Yeah, yeah. This is something that I've been wanting to do a number of times too. Actually, this. Um... On my website, at the very least, since fanfiction wouldn't, wouldn't let me do it. I've put a couple hyperlinks into, like, other blog posts or websites for, like, rationalist ideas or psychological terms and things like that once in a while. But I really have wanted to add music clips to, or, like, music for the background while reading certain certain things. And it's something that, like, I don't know, I feel like I want more reader feedback on, like, I guess they don't have to do it, right? But I'd like more reader feedback on, like, how interesting or useful they would find that. Yeah. Because... I haven't read anything like that myself, but I have. I was reading an Undertale comic, Dogs of Future Past, and the music in Undertale is very evocative of experiences from the game. Like it's really, really good music, but also like the story points that associates with the music is very important. And so, like when parts of the comic would kind of feel like they fit the music choices of the game, I would just play the music of the game uh, while reading that part of the comic, and it worked beautifully together. Like it works really well together. Huh. And so, like. Things like that I enjoy, so I figure others might enjoy it too, but I don't actually know. Your biggest problem for like matching a song with prose fiction is that in a movie, you you have the the music change ideally to suit the the mood mm-hmm. and the themes, right? You have the sort of like rising um, music as you move into the climax, or right, and then you you can have diff- each character have a different theme that you sort of interleave or do whatever with if, if you're having a soundtrack that's just the backing to the music rather than a, a song that's been chosen or something like that mm-hmm. where each each character has their own musical theme and then you can sort of weave those together as part of yeah this subconscious background and the problem is that in prose fiction you can't really control what part they're reading at what part of the song yeah i yeah. was actually i w- i was about to say that and then i thought you know if you had the technology to yeah. eye tracking yeah. or like page tracking and you like with a sufficient amount of I don't even know what language would be best to do that but you could as a person scrolls down the page you could if you were playing music on that page you could see where they were on the page and use that to control procedurally generated music I'm pretty sure that that would just be a huge amount of work and then it would only work if they were on your website and then you'd run into this problem where browser supported mobile supported etc yeah i mean some people are deaf right yeah you're just gonna be like hey 
sorry, that's it's part of the experience, but it can't really do anything about that yeah. so much. And, you know, some people just don't want to read prose fiction while music is going on. They want to listen to their own right. music, which I always somewhat resent. <laughs> as someone just, who in, just, as someone who's injected music, uh, who wants to inject your own music into your writing, because you're like, no, no, I've got sounds that I'm trying to convey to you through my words. You, yeah. need, to, you need to listen to those sounds in your head. Yeah, and and if people are you know listening to Smash Mouth's All Star <laughs> while reading what I wrote, I'm just like that's I I, I want a base level of commitment to you reading the prose. <laughs> I will I will accept if you don't have that commitment, but, <laughs> but but if you're just gonna like inject different tones into your brain, right? Like different like themes and understandings. I don't know. That's that's the kind of thing that that irks me. <laughs> it doesn't irk me quite so much. I mean, like if people, you know, like some people might be reading like while they're like in a crowd or like in a shopping mall and there's music playing in the background anyway, and they can't control that and they're just like trying to tune it out. So yeah, hopefully the writing will carry them away <laughs> regardless. So I mean, it all it all comes down to taste in 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 a lot of ways though. Like we're not just talking about sound now. Like there's a thing that I've become more more conscious about where I've been like paying more attention to when I italicize stuff in dialogue. And I've had a beta reader who who would be who's basically is turned off by emphasis in dialogue through italics. To them it just feels like novice writing or something like that. Like it just feels like, you know, like young adult kind of writing and not like literature kind of writing. And for me it's it's not like for me I'm just like totally like, hey, the more I can convey what I hear in my head, the better. But that applies to a lot of other things too, like punctuation. If you want to put a comma somewhere, because grammar, the rules of grammar say you should, but in your head there's no comma there because, like the 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 comma implies a pause that you don't think should be there, and things like that. Like that, in 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 a lot of ways, that comes down to the the reader's perspe- perception and, and preferences anyway. And you just kind of either take as few risks as possible or, or risk treading on people's toes. So in that sense, like anything that you would want to change about your story through the medium is going to be in some regard come down to potentially rubbing people the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people who like couldn't read house of leaves because to them, the whole thing just felt felt like a gimmick and, and like, like unconventional to the point of distraction. Yeah. Uh, and I loved house of leaves, but like I can, I can see where they're coming from, but for me, it's just like, Oh, this is really neat. Yeah. I do wonder about that. The amateurishness of using things. That's not just words and punctuation. Mm-hmm. I've definitely, heard that before and i think that's i mean partly that's because most traditionally published books are i think run into a lot of the same problems that you would for web fiction across different different channels Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a lot more work for the publisher a lot of manuscripts are have to be in a very specific format and dealing with formatting stuff it, it is actually pretty easy to just lose all the italics on yeah. your work yeah. by, by saving it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're just like, oh, well, guess I shouldn't have had italics. Oh, or God. I have to go through and like re-italicize every single word. Yeah. Fan fiction is not, not great for, for formatting things like that. Yeah, it's it's pretty easy because of technology implementations to just sort of lose stuff. But I think that that quality of amateurishness that some people will read into italics in dialogue i think that's something you have to be very aware of Mm -hmm. personally i think that's one of the only ways to effectively do cadence right yeah um i mean you can do it with punctuation too but 
if you want to have someone who is putting emphasis on particular words you and you don't want to do italics and you don't want to do bold or whatever, your only real option is to say in the text that they had a weird cadence. Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of rolls off the reader's mind a little too easily. Yeah. Right? Because if they're not reminded of that in text as the characters are being reminded of it, it, it just sort of evaporates. This goes accents too. Yeah. I, I had a, I've had some discussions with people before about how much or how little they enjoy when authors put the accent into the words as they're written. And I always appreciate it myself, but again, some people are just like, no, it's just really distracting and annoying and, and that kind of thing. So Yeah. I'm kind of in that camp. I, it slows down my reading too much mm-hmm. is my problem. It's not that I don't enjoy the effort, I guess, or the uh, the problem is it's anti-immersive to me because because it takes me longer to to parse a sentence. Right. I mean, if, if you're going to do it, I'd prefer you do it through particular word choice or do it infrequently enough that that it's it's not like every every single thing unless you're trying to convey incomprehension right that if if you're trying to convey that it's difficult to understand that's that's a different thing that is actually something that i was thinking of because um the thing i'm thinking of off the top of my head maybe it's because of the most recent that really like left an impression was name of the wind even though i read it last time i read it was like years ago um there's this one part where it was just this very like obtuse accent that he adopts from someone that he meets that has that accent, and like the third character in the scene was like having hell of a lot of trouble like understanding what they were saying, and that was like coming across very clearly through the reader's experience of trying to understand what they were saying. Yeah, I mean, it can it can be nice that way. Yeah, I guess if you get enough exposure to that particular transliteration style, mm-hmm. that you can read it fluidly. I, I actually think that's true of longer works in general, is you can get away with a little bit more because you can just acclimate the reader to it. And if you're under the assumption that they will read your novel in like a day or two, so long as you can like get them reading your particular style, you have a lot more freedom mm-hmm. to, to experiment or do weird things. And I think that's true outside of just w- what we're talking about here, which is playing with the medium of prose like you can get away with some quirks in your in your writing if you have a long time with the reader because mm-hmm. they'll just they'll just adopt that quirk into their brain and then they don't need to worry about it that much right. and it's not but whereas for serial fiction if you have people coming back like once a week and they've read a bunch of different stuff they have to reacclimate every time and yeah I, that's, that's something i've been thinking about a lot because it I, I mean i, I read serial fiction a lot and so i kind of think about the this fact that you you're, you only have the reader part-time and they have to keep coming back and you got to keep you, you can't be too weird because you need to be closer to that baseline of what everything else they've read in the meantime yeah so we've talked about songs and poems there are a lot of types of text that you can insert into your prose fiction novel letters are a common one right it's yep. it's a very different thing if you're just presenting the reader with what's supposed to be a real letter or what's supposed to be a real mission log or a court document, text messages, as you were saying. It's sort of a different than proper prose fiction because mm-hmm. you're bringing these other mediums into prose fiction and presenting them within right. the, the construct of your short story or novel or it's whatever. V- it's very rare these days to include pictures in uh, novels. 
I mean, generally speaking, pictures are considered a, again, like, childish. Like, we, we, we associate pictures in books a lot of people with young readers, right? Because, like, the pictures need to, like, keep people's attention and stuff. But I remember reading Stephen King novels, um, some of which have, like, full art, full-page art pictures every so often. Um, and they'll oftentimes be just, like, very... Either they're, like, a still shot of some, some particular scene, or they're just very, like, not dreamy, but kind of that, like, dream quality to them. Interpretive. I, I don't know what the right word to say that is, but, like, they're just kind of there to convey more of a mood than a... Yeah, impressionist. Than, uh, impressionist, yes. Um, so, like, these kinds of things, like, I feel like they can enhance a story experience if done well, but they're just very uncommon to do these days. I haven't... I haven't read a book that has pic- that's had pictures in it that's been published for like the past twenty years or something like that. I can't remember the last time. Um, Jonathan Franzen's *The Corrections* mm-hmm. did it. Um, it was a very literary book, mm-hmm. famously literary. Kurt Vonnegut did it in *Breakfast of Champions*, I think, and possibly a few others. They were his sort of crude, hand-drawn yeah, drawings, yeah. which is neat. It's a neat thing. It's it's one of those things where you can't. You're so limited by what is actually available to you. Right. right. Like you can't just insert pictures. That's like a different, it's a whole different encoding system. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I would agree all that it's childish, right? Harry Potter books too have the, the tiny little picture. Chapter at, starts. At mm-hmm. Yeah. Depending on which, which versions you read gotcha. and what you're reading on. Right. But it is a, a childish thing. It's something that I think, especially if your prose isn't really tight and really literary, mm-hmm. people will, will think that it's childish. Like you're the only reason you're including pictures because you can't describe it yourself. Can't describe it yourself, right? That you're cheating, basically. Right. Which I don't agree with, but I can definitely see where someone who was not terribly good, who like could not convey what they were thinking through prose would use pictures. Yeah. As a supplement. I can see where that would happen, but I don't think that's necessarily always the case. And also a lot of people appreciate being able to form their own pictures of things. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, if I could put a put a hyperlink into fanfiction every time a Pokemon's name shows up to just, like, put a picture of, the, of them so that for people who don't know, like, Pokemon past, like, the first 150 or 200 or whatever. Yeah. Like, that would be really convenient, I'm sure, for readers, not just for me. And if I could, like, for any Pokemon with a nickname, have the uh, rundown of, like, what they are again and, and what moves there for people who forgot. Like, that would be super convenient. But not possible for fanfiction and, and a lot of work for my website. Yeah. So I, th- uh, I would say the one exception for images is cover art. You're allowed to have cover art. Mm-hmm. You're expected to have cover art, right. actually. Unless you are going extremely literary, in which case maybe it's okay to just have cover art that's... Words on, on a background. Yeah, even then... I don't think that's terribly common. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that on the classics, but that's because yeah. they're public domain and art costs money. And maybe um, they didn't have a cover when they first came out. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, the cover is covered under different uh, intellectual property laws or something like that. But right. anyway, uh, having cover art, if you have a novel, mm-hmm. um, if you're traditionally published, if you're self-published, it's kind of a must. Even if you have... Fan fiction, I think that's something that most people will maybe not expect, but it it definitely adds to your story, especially mm-hmm. for like fanfic.net just puts the cover art up in the corner. Is it every chapter? Yeah, the cover it's, art? It's, always, it's always at the top of the page, separate from the rest of the text. 
Yeah. Uh, which makes it very important, right? Yeah. Because people are going to see that and they're going to associate that with your story more than, say, the, you know, the title. Right. Right. Uh, they'll, they'll get an instant association and an instant link. So it's, I mean, it's sensible to have one if you can find one that doesn't, you know, they're not yeah. gonna, like sink a bunch of money into. I spent a lot of time um, finding something that uh, that worked as cover art for um, Pokemon. Uh, there was one early on in the story that, like, you know, it was serviceable, but I didn't wasn't a huge fan of it. And then I finally found one that I thought feel like really works for it well. And like at this point, for uh, most of my fanfiction.net stuff, I did I did public domain images uh-huh. and just tried to get something that was evocative rather than that told you anything about the story right. at all. So like the Metropolitan Man, I think it's just a a big black and white skyscraper in the middle of a busy city. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I like that. It doesn't sell the story, I don't think. Maybe a little bit it sells the story, right? Because it would say something, but it, it would say something completely different if it were like a different <laughs> type of building. It does set the the mood or the, I guess, mood and tone. Yeah, it has of, it has an association with the story that I think is important. Just because in terms of like the mental, when I think of, of Metropolitan Man, I think of, it, I don't know why, but the impression is, maybe because I've read it already, the impression is old-fashioned skyscraper. Yeah. And, yeah, it's something that, like, I think is worth putting effort into if you have an online story. Because, like, I had to, well, not only did I have to find my picture, like, I cropped it to, to include exactly what I wanted it to include, because there's a whole bunch of other stuff in the picture. And, you know, like, it's it's one of the few things that, you can kind of, like you said, get away with, like, this is something that's somewhat expected. Yeah. Besides the text. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter titles Chapter titles is, like, the second thing. Yeah. Chapter titles and, like, story title. Yeah. Story title is, I think, hugely important, but you can kind of get away with it not being... You can't get away with having a bad title. Right. Um, you can get away with having a mediocre title. Chapter titles, yeah, I think you can do so much to set a the tone of a chapter. Mm-hmm. By the chapter title, and what's funny is I don't always <laughs> I don't always use them, but they're they're really good like sort of outside the prose tool. A lot of Victorian novels had this style where they'd have a chapter and they'd just be like, in which a lady yeah. finds her glove, blah 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 blah, and go on for like I love those so much. <laughs> I I found them amusing but hated them obviously. Yeah, but for me actually the the feel of the story sometimes is is from my own story is like do you, is it the kind of story that has a chapter title or not and that's something that i usually find out as i'm writing it and there are stories i've written that just didn't need chapter titles like there was no reason to include them um i felt like it would take away from it somehow or just get in the way but other yeah. stories like uh the pokemon one like i think is definitely benefited from having chapter titles and so being able to even write something like 2.351 for the mewtwo's mewtwo's first interlude and then have that be like people be reading it and being like what's going on in this chapter and then figure out, oh, it's Mewtwo. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I have fun with that. Uh, yeah, the, the ability to do chapter titles that and in, like, a certain format and then go outside that format, I mm-hmm. think, is really one of my preferred ways for chapter titles to be, I yeah. guess. And per- but even that comes down to, like, fanfiction would not let me put a period in its chapter titles. <laughs> so I had to yeah. write out point P-O-O-I-N-T, which is just so annoying. Yeah, fan. Fanfiction, God, that is a terrible site yeah. as far as usability goes. It's like they they strip out so many, like, you can't hyperlink. You have to, like, it's it's not just that you can't hyperlink. It's that if you try to put in a URL, yeah. not only will, will it not hyperlink, it'll, like... Cut out the URL. 
it'll cut out the URL and then it won't tell you that it did that. Yeah, and certain certain websites, oh, some certain words in, in in total will just disappear. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure they've been updating that over time because like I remember at one point I was able to put a thing down and checked it and it was okay and then like i've looked back at a previous chapter and it was gone i was like well that's annoying yeah story titles actually there's another the dresden files every every book is two words with the same number of letters for both words and it usually has a double meaning or is a pun so full moon uh, is the second book do it werewolves summer night uh usually would, would refer to like you know summer like nighttime but it was summer night as in k-n-i-g-h-t and then another one was uh, White Knight, which, again, would usually refer to the knight. Uh, in this case, was referring to N-I-G-H-D. We could do, we could probably do a whole episode yeah. on, on titling. Yeah. Because it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> I particularly... it's, it's not one of my favorite things to, to do. Right. I, it's I, one I, of my I favorite things to look at. I think yeah. it's so hard to find a good title yeah. that, that does multiple things, which yeah. I think it ideally should. You shouldn't just, like, pick your title out of a hat. <laughs> and then for the book Changes... It's just, it, it, its title is just changes, and it's the book where, like, a ton of stuff changes in the story. So, like, very clever title work is something I appreciate. Yeah. 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 Hyperlinks are, I think, dangerous. Yes. If you can do them at all, which you can't on fanfiction.net. You can sort of do on fanfiction.net. Um, anything that takes the reader out of the story, I, I think, is probably dangerous. Right. Because you have to sort of account for that, for that reader leaving, and first of all, they might not come back mm -hmm. if you send them to like a Wikipedia page, um, or if you give them the option to go to a Wikipedia page, they might go to that Wikipedia page and then just, you know, not ever come back to your story. Um, but if they do come back to their story, it's going to have been quite a while since they clicked on that link, and you have to write in such a way that the reader is fine whether they clicked that link and left for. 10 minutes mm -hmm. or they decided not to click that link and just kept going that seems like a really hard thing to pace hey man if you love something you gotta let it go and and hopefully it'll yeah. come back or whatever um yeah but it can break the flow of the story if it's something that they need to do and if they don't do it they might miss something and, and that's like an anxiety you're adding in their head now and then also there's the whole thing that like hyperlinks aren't forever like something might happen to the yeah. site that you link them to or they might change their url or whatever and then it's just like well links this is a big problem in um was it legal issues there's uh legal yeah yeah legal documents and 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 things like that where hyperlinks being used as sources can't be verified or, or um like research papers and things like that yeah so yeah so that's the rundown on the importance of paying attention to the medium of prose fiction Hope you enjoyed it, and join us next time. Thanks for listening.